something and an honor and a joy to have you in the house of God with us here at Northwoods Church. We believe, amen, that God has called us to worship, to grow, and to serve together here. Hallelujah. We are a lifestyle, transformational center dedicated to helping the lost back to Christ. We believe in the fresh start promise of 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. We strive to be a family of dedicated believers that will continue. Somebody say continue to receive, equip, and send forth believers for the building of the Lord's kingdom. My dad preached last Sunday morning. And throughout this week in doing my study, I, I was... I thought I had a message title on my heart. And the closer that Sunday got, what I realized is God was leading me to start a series on the road to recovery. Now, we live in a day and an hour where when people hear the topic or the phrase, the road to recovery, it's very easily to appoint that to addiction. But how many understand that every person in this room Man, woman, boy, and girl had to be recovered, had to travel down that road of recovery before we were born into sin and we were shaped in iniquity. And then some of the things that were spoken on last Sunday morning on strongholds and spiritual strongholds and the armor of God. This morning, my goal is to just kind of give you a teaching. But I believe in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, so I'm not going to promise you it won't get preached a little bit. But I believe this topic on the road to recovery is far greater than we can even think or imagine when we just narrow it down to addictions. Because recovery comes in many forms and fashions. For instance, in sports, when someone is injured... They have to go through a process of recovery to get back to the playing status they once had. When someone is on the job and they break a rule or something major cat catastrophic takes place, if they don't lose their job, a lot of times then they're asked to go through a season of recovery or remedial training where they have to be reminded of their purpose and reminded of their rules and they're reminded of their engagements that they have to abide by and even in our spiritual form we have to be understand that when we come under attack a lot of times we play it off like oh well I'm a, I'm a Christian I go to church I'm just going to pray and God's going to heal it and it's going to be the end but how many understand every time there's a setback there has to be a plan for setting forward it doesn't just happen because you want it to, amen? Because if that was the case, we'd all be rich and we'd have everything we ever wanted and we'd have all the boats and cars and we'd have all the hunting land we could even imagine if it was just, we got it just because we wanted it. But there is a recovery process. And, and I'm, as you, if, you ain't, if you've been with us long enough, you know that I am very, very peculiar and very, very stern on believing that every stage of ministry doesn't just happen but it is a process and if you don't recognize the process you will find yourself going through loops in the desert going through the same motions you'll come in on a high you'll get the blessings from God you'll feel like you're on the mountain of transfiguration and then troubles will come and you'll feel weak and you'll start getting depressed and you'll start drawing yourself away from what God has called you to do and the next thing you know you're you're almost ready to quit and throw in the towel and give up on God and then you'll you'll make whatever adjustments in your life and you'll go in the same rotation how many is ever is it just me in this house how many ever feel like you've just been circling the mountain amen you've just been walking loops in the wilderness for a long time in your life but I've come to tell you this morning what God told him in the early stages of the word of God that we've circled this mountain long enough it's time to turn north amen it's time to go through the process of recovery and it's time to take what the Lord has promised us I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning just to give you a brief synopsis of what we're going to be covering in the next few weeks. Next Sunday will be a little different, but the, the following Sunday we will pick back up and we're going to go into details and we're going to talk about the specific things. Something that my dad brought up last week in his sermon is the Bible tells us do not be ignorant of the devices of the devil. We live in a day and an hour where people have 
they've not been cured of addiction, but they've traded addictions. In other words, they were once addicted to the world, and they were once addicted to drugs, and they were once addicted to alcohol, and they were once addicted to pornography. And instead of getting healed from their addiction, they just changed their addiction to um, an emotional high in church. In other words, they, they thrive off of the emotion of church. They thrive off of the good feelings of church. But you know what happens to feelings? They change. They disappear. They, they sometimes the feelings aren't good feelings. And if you are not equipped of the devices of the devil, we, we live in this hour where people always say, stop giving the devil glory. Stop giving the devil glory. And listen, I understand that and I believe that we have to be careful not to give the enemy glory. We must not empower him with glory. But at the same time, we can't be ignorant that he is the he was the leading angel. He was the highest ranking angel that fell from heaven. That he is he was the one second to God in heaven at one time. And he is the prince of the air, and this world is his kingdom. And we are trespassers when we give our hearts to Christ on his territory and he looks to destroy us and kill us and cause us to fall and stumble and if we try to play it off like he's just some weak little minion we will find ourselves falling prey to the enemy's schemes the Bible says do not be ignorant concerning the schemes of the devil so I want to talk to you just on a brief synopsis of spiritual warfare this morning. And then over the next few parts, we're going, to, we're going to hit some specific spirits in the upcoming weeks that the Bible tells us about. But I'm a firm believer that we don't just talk about spirits. We don't just talk about spiritual warfare. But we also hand you the tools and the information and the knowledge and the wisdom on how to walk out your soul salvation with fear and with trembling. Something that I have learned throughout the church is sometimes it is hard to truly comprehend a threat that comes from things that we cannot see. It's very difficult to comprehend and, and move forward believing that there is an actual world that we cannot see that is in war every day for our souls and our minds. You have to understand that your mind is what the enemy is after because your mind is the citadel of your soul. If the enemy can gain ground in your mind, he can dim the lights to your soul. If he can gain territory, if he can gain real estate in your head, he can change the voices that you're hearing that mean one thing into the things that he wants you to believe about them. He can change the things about people that, you, that God intends for you to see and make you see people in a way that he wants you to see them or think about them. The enemy's goal is to capture your mind because if he can capture your mind, he can darken your soul and harden your heart. However, God warns us of the threat of spiritual warfare and that it is very real and to arm ourselves with what he has given us. So the first thing I got to tell you about is the question we have to answer is what is spiritual warfare? We could go around the room right now and everybody has probably experienced something. If you've been in church any amount of time, you could, you could determine a definition for spiritual warfare based off of your personal experiences. But I want to give you some scriptures that tells us that spiritual warfare is very real. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. Will you put it up there for me, Brother Gabe? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and the bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Just a couple more. First Peter chapter 5 verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now notice what Peter says here. Peter is not... Peter is not a popular man in, in the common church of today. Peter is not a man that would be asked to come preach in our, in our modern day churches. Because Peter is not going to stand up there and say, don't give the devil no credit. He, 
He's not strong. You have Jesus on your heart. And you are an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Nothing can, can phase you. Unless you know how to walk in the armor of God, unless you know how to pray in the spirit, unless you know how to fight with the weapons of the spirit, you are, you are vulnerable to the tactics and the lies and the schemes of the enemy. And we can't lie. Notice Peter didn't say, don't worry about the devil. Don't give him glory. He said, no, be sober. In other words, be of a stern mind. Be of a pure mind. Be of a pure heart. In other words, don't listen to the, to the flawlessness of the world. Don't listen to the cultural relevance of this world. Don't look for what's politically correct in this world, but be sober minded. Don't be influenced by every wave of doctrine, but be sober. Be vigilant. Be on point. Be ready. Be ready to have the word of God sharp and powerful and piercing. Be ready to pick up the sword at the moment's drop of a hat. Be ready when the enemy comes in like a flood to remind him that when he comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Be ready to know that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me, thy rod and thy step. Be ready to know that when I enter the waters, the floods will not overtake me and neither shall the flood kindle upon me be ready to know amen that the power of God is that works in us because the preaching of the cross amen that is foolishness to those who do not believe submit yourselves James 4 and 7 submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you notice nowhere in this spiritual warfare do we talk about if you can win a physical fight Nowhere in spiritual warfare does it say that if you can prove your point, then you will be saved and set free. Nowhere in spiritual warfare, nowhere in the Word of God does it say that if you can declare how right you are and how wrong someone else is, does it make you victorious in spiritual warfare. But if we will be understanding and what we'll come to know in the upcoming weeks is you have to know the spirits that you are fighting against. Notice that when Jesus, when they, when they, when they brought that young boy who was, who was, who was demon possessed and the, they, they couldn't, the, the disciples couldn't cast the devil out notice Jesus didn't walk up to him and say whatever general spirit you have go in the name of Jesus no Jesus knew the exact spirit he was facing he had to get specific and call it by name notice and the Gadarean man came up Jesus didn't just tell him to go he first asked him before he cast him out who are you he said I am legion and it didn't make any Jesus any less powerful, but it showed the authority to everyone following that even if you come as legion, Jesus has the authority to cast you out. When that young boy was demon-possessed, Jesus didn't just cast out a general spirit. He said, you deaf and dumb spirit, go. And, then, you know, and he had to go. It threw the boy down, and it caused him to seize and convulse, but it had to leave. We're going to talk about the deaf and dumb spirit in the up and coming weeks. We're going to talk about the spirit of Jezebel. We're going to talk about the Leviathan spirit. We're going to talk about the spirit of the python. We're going to talk about, amen, the things that the enemy brings into our churches, brings into our political offices, brings into our workplaces every day. And if we are caught up, if we are sharp in the word of God, you will be able to discern what is good and what is evil. For what you have to understand, the basic definition of spiritual warfare is it is a fight that has been going on since the fall of angels between good and evil. And then when God created man and woman, he placed them in the garden. He trusted them to take care of what he had created for eternity. But yet Satan came in and deceived them because we have to understand that the, the enemy is a liar. He is the deceitful spirit. He is a deceitful power. And he come and he deceived them and they fail. And because man failed, not only has spiritual warfare been between good and evil, but it has now been for good and evil and over the hearts of man. Because Jesus made a way out for us. But we'll get to that here in a moment. I said in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, our struggle is ultimately against spiritual forces of evil. Which means that the real battle is the spiritual warfare of good versus evil. We have to understand that there is a spiritual war ongoing for the hearts of man. As the forces of evil want to turn us away from God and separate us from him.
But for those with God through Jesus Christ, the battle is already won because Christ overcame death with the resurrection. We must be born again of spirit with faith in Jesus to be saved from the second death of the spirit. How many understand that there is coming a day when spiritual warfare will come to an end? There is coming a day when when evil shall be done away with for eternity. There is coming a day when the victory, the last battle will be fought. And Jesus has already confirmed that if you are a son of Jesus Christ, if you are a son of God, if you are a blood-bought child of God, you are guaranteed the victory. But it does not mean that you won't have battles along the journey. You can't stand back and say, oh, I'm already victorious in Jesus Christ. Because, listen, what good is it to live your whole life in defeat and then gain a crown at the end? I want to be like Paul that even when the world looks at me as I'm defeated, I can stand in the middle of a courtroom and almost persuade the the judge that he can be saved. I want to be like Paul, that even in the middle of a prison, I can sing Amazing Grace in the prison prison cell, shake and rattle and open up, amen. I want to be like Paul and Silas, amen. I want to be like Paul and Barnabas. I want to be like Peter, who says I'm not worthy to be crucified upside down because I'm here to glorify my Father. The Bible tells us to be watchful and to guard our hearts against the iniquity of sin. A lot of times when we hear that, we think about our emotions. Because a general love, and if you've ever done a study on love in the Bible, you'll know that there's multiple meanings for the word love. There's multiple Hebrew words and Greek words, and each one has a different meaning. There's an agape love that only comes from the kingdom of God. The only way a man can possess agape love and share agape love is you must have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you because he is the only one that can shed a perfect and pure love like the agape love. But the Bible tells us to be watchful and to guard our hearts. So a lot of times when we are unaware, we feel like because we feel good about something that we're guarding our hearts. Because we do a good deed, we're guarding our hearts. But the only way to truly guard your heart is to put on the thing that covers your heart. The breastplate of righteousness. You have to cover your heart from iniquity. You have to cover your heart from sin. But in order to cover your heart with righteousness, you have to cover other parts that have channels to your heart. In other words, I have to have the helmet of salvation so that I can properly adjust and fit into the breastplate of righteousness. I have to have something that covers my ears, which channels my mind, which covers my heart. I have to have something that guards the mind against the lies and the deceit seat of the devil. I have to have something that can discern the difference between evil dressed as something good and good being of God. There are many wolves in sheep's clothing. There are many people that can pop off scriptures. There are many people that stand in pulpits. There are many people that tote a Bible everywhere they go and they talk about love and they talk about God and they talk about this and they talk about that. But in their heart is deceit and lying and their father is of the devil. Amen. And I'm here to tell you today, if you are covered, you can discern the spirits that you are dealing with. It does not have to be a drawn out fight or a drawn out battle. Nine times out of ten, you can recognize the evil by how hard it's trying to look good. Because true truth does not have to be proven, but it will prove itself. Never in all of my years of ministry have I ever had to defend the Word of God. Because the Word of God defends itself. I've had many people before ask me when I went through my apologetics class in college, one of the very first questions was, why do you believe your God is real and all others are not? And I felt immediately like I'm supposed to stand up and I'm supposed to fight. I'm supposed to defend this. And what I realized is, is I serve a God that I serve him by faith and not by sight. In other words, if you can't have faith, you won't understand my God. If you can't have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you can't have faith that he died and he rose again, if you can't have faith, then it will never make sense. A natural mind can't conceive the supernatural power of a divine God so pure and holy, amen, because we are in a corrupted, fallen world. How can I make sense of a perfect and holy God to an imperfect mind that doesn't believe? 
There have to become a believer. And I can't cause, I can't save anybody. I can only give them the truth. Evil can only enter us when we allow it to live in our hearts. There's a, a cliche or a uh, wise tale that, you know, the little vampire ideas is that a vampire can't enter a house unless he's welcomed in. And the only reason I bring that up is not because you need to be on guard for vampires tonight. Uh, well, I mean, I know it's October, but listen, if you're worried about vampires, you got bigger battles to worry about, amen. But I am here to tell you that just like that little movie status that, hey, a vampire can't cross the threshold of a house unless he's welcomed in, then the truth about that is the true blood-sucking liar, the devil, cannot force his way into your heart. He has to be welcomed in. He has to be allowed in your presence. He has Because every time Jesus walked up, notice that Jesus would walk up and the spirits would come and fall down and say, have you come to torment us before our time? They had to be welcomed in. If Jesus would have said, don't worry about it, I'm not here to mess with you. They could have went on about their business, but Jesus refused to bypass an enemy and bypass a spiritual power and not set it to flight. Amen. And I wish to God we would grow in as the church. Amen. That doesn't allow the enemy to just sit in our presence and to just say what he wants to say and do what he wants to do without putting the enemy to flight and being humble and loving the people whom the enemy tries to use. The first step to engage in this grand spiritual warfare is you have to recognize that it exists. You can never truly defeat the enemy in spiritual warfare until you first truly realize that it exists. Then you have to genuinely examine your own heart. This is a very, very hard one in today's time. Notice that I didn't say you had to examine your neighbor's heart. Notice that I did not say that in order for us to gain power and authority in Thomasville, Georgia, that I'm going to have to go around and examine all you guys' hearts. No, I have to first and foremost examine my heart. I have to take a look in the mirror. How can I pull the splinter out of your eye if the enemy's got a log bowed out of my face? How can I affect your, your righteous walk with God? How can I gear you in the right direction if I'm lost? The Bible t- calls it the blind leading the blind. Amen. If we are not willing to examine our own hearts, it doesn't matter how many phone calls you make or how many face posts, Facebook posts you make, it doesn't make it right until you first examine your own heart and live by the standard in whom God placed for all of us. You can't require a standard upon one that you don't live by yourself. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So we know that the devil is a liar. And it hurts my heart in studying this what I come to find out. It will blow your mind. Maybe not in South Georgia because we're in the Bible Belt. You know, everybody is super holy in the Bible Belt. But do you realize the Bible Belt isn't the only place on this earth? Sometimes we're too holy for our own good. Sometimes we we try to make sense out of stuff that wasn't meant to make sense. And we try to make spiritual out of things that, you know, if your bread's molded, it isn't because the enemy is corroding your life. Sometimes you left it on the counter open and it just molded. But, but that's just the Bible Belt way of life, you know. And, and, and I'm okay with that because one thing I do love about living in the Bible Belt is, is I do love the willingness for the Holy Spirit to move and the people to allow God to move. And I have friends that are pastoring all over the United States. And they'll, I've had, I talked to one. He's a pastor in Illinois. I talked to him a couple years back. I grew up through the ministry with him. And he pastors up in Illinois. He'll call me and he'll say, you know, Brother Josh? He said, man, I love it up here. It's nice. It's beautiful. He said, but... It, It ain't the same as preaching in South Georgia. He said everybody just wants a sermon and go home. And and that's not for every place, but it's multiple times you hear that. And you hear people that, that are dealing with that. And you hear people that are going through that. And one thing that I discovered in studying this is you would be amazed if you go do this study yourself that the topic of Satan and spiritual warfare is one that some Christians find extremely challenging to believe. We are saved By a supernatural God that we believed was raised from the dead, that the no other religion in the face of this planet is attacked and ridiculed and hated as much as Christianity. 
We can believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, but many Christians have trouble believing in a Satan or a spiritual war. They believe that if we just live life, we're going to go through difficult times, and, but everything's it's going to rain on the just and the unjust, but to really get up and preach about a fiery hell or a, or, a, or a devil or a Satan or a spiritual warfare going on. They can't believe it. And the only thing that I would love to ask these people is, can you explain to me, Daniel, when he went in and prayed and fasted for 21 days, and on that 21st day the Bible says that the angel appeared unto him and said, God heard you the first time you called, but the prince of Persia stood in the way and he tried to capture your answer. And we had to fight and we had to war, but God heard you the first day and you fasted and you prayed and I'm here today with your answer. The devil is a liar. And just because many Christians find it challenging, one must consider the truth. By choosing to ignore, the, ignore that the devil exists and that his sole aim is to ruin us, we set ourselves up to fall victim to his ploys. I have been told even very recently, Brother Josh, you need to be careful letting, letting people say something, you know, talk in the foyer. You know, we, we had this controlling spirit. We'll get into that in, in Jez, and when we get on Jezebel. But we've got this controlling spirit. You got, you got people, amen, that ain't served God more than 10 minutes. But because they've had a good experience, they're ready to tell you how to serve God. You've been going to church your whole life, amen. You've got people, amen, that ain't never, ain't never done and walked the roads you've walked. But they're the first ones to tell you how you ought to act and how you ought to be and how you ought to go. They ain't willing to go through the processes, but they're willing to tell you how to get there. They're not willing to stay in the fight when the weapons are being drawn, but they're willing to tell you how to stand and fight. They're not willing to stand up and face people face to face, but they're willing to tell you you need to go face to face. Amen. They're not willing to stand up and square off with the enemy, but they're willing to tell you how you need to set people. Pastor, you need to go out there in that foyer and you need to tell them they're not allowed to talk to our children. You need to go out there in that foyer. You need to tell them they're not allowed to stand there like that. You need to go out there in that yard and tell them they're not allowed to smoke a cigarette. They're not allowed. Listen, I am here to deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, we have an order. We have a, 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 a godly order, and we will abide by that order. But if a drunk man wants to walk up in this church, amen, where else would you rather him be? I would rather him be on the pews hearing the gospel and praying he doesn't go back into the world than to kick him out the day he walks in because he ain't good enough for me. I'd rather see a broken man crawl through these doors and walk out holding his bed than to send him back to Solomon's porches where he stays broken, he stays on his bed, and he loses hope and faith because I don't recognize the spiritual warfare. Jezebel wants to control everything. They want to control who gets to preach and who gets to teach. They want to control who gets to sing. Then if we don't do it, we'll starve you out, preacher. We'll starve you out. But praise the Lamb of God, that's why I went and got me a job, amen. And I can't be starved out when I work for my own living, praise God. And I'm thankful, amen, that the enemy cannot defeat us because he is a liar. And we have to understand that when we don't give the glory to the devil. And, but we refuse to teach of his tactics. We refuse to teach. Listen, I'm not saying that we got to focus on all of our energy on what the devil can do I want to tell you at the end of all this everything God gives you the power he says he'll give you the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all not some not most not the majority but all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you but if I don't give you the process of how to tread then you are going to fall victim you're going to be like them holiness folks that get bit by rattlesnakes and thinks if you die you wasn't saved well, I'm just here to tell you today, you bring a snake up here on this stage and you ain't got to worry about the venom getting you. You're probably going to get shot at. Amen. Because I believe that the day that I'm asked to walk through, through, through serpents to do the blessings of God, the day that God says, look, there ain't no other way around. You walk through this den of snakes. I'm going to have to walk by faith, but I ain't going to volunteer my time in the snake pit. Amen. I'm not going to go volunteer my time in the valley of the shadow of death. I will wait till my appointed time to walk through that place. And I'll believe that when I go, I go with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We set ourselves up to fall victim to the enemy if we choose to ignore that the devil exists and that he has power in this earth. Hosea 4 and 6 says it plain in the day. My people are destroyed 
for a lack of knowledge. Well, Brother Josh, when we go to Sunday school, we learn all about Jesus. So you learn that, the enemy, uh, that, that, that Jesus can save your soul. Do you realize that when Peter wrote, be sober and be vigilant, he was saved? He was already saved, and yet he's still preaching, be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary, your devil, talking to church folks, your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In other words, the enemy still has the uh, power, if we allow him to, to destroy things in the church, even after the Holy Spirit has been welcomed. The devil uses our mental space as his battlefield to wage war against us. How do you know if you're in spiritual distress? Anxiety, depression, feeling like you're not worth anything. Steadily having to ask God why. why? Listen, I ask God why all the time. Lord, why do I got to go to work today? Lord, why do I got to pay this bill? Lord, why? Are my kids getting on my nerves? Lord, why? 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 You know, I ask those kinds of questions, but that's just God saying, let me remind you how ignorant you are. But it's the times when we have to, we ask God, Lord, we want an anointing, Lord. Anoint me, Lord God, that I may fight the good fight and war the war of faith, Lord God. And then we ask God, Lord, why am I going through this valley? You prayed for it when you asked for the anointing. Because the anointing, the salvation doesn't cost you anything, but your anointing costs you everything. If you were going to walk in the anointing, you've got to be willing to sacrifice and go through the hard places of life. But the devil wants to use your mental space to cause you to attack yourself, to start making it feel like you, you're not good enough. Nobody loves you. Nobody's going to appreciate you. you, you you've got a speech impediment. Your hearing's messed up. You walk with a limp so people aren't going to listen to you. They're not going to take you serious. You've got a bad past. You've got, a, you've got something on your credit report that looks evil. You've got something this and that. And it just wants to destroy your mind. And then you, guess what you start doing? You start swinging this axe for the enemy. Looking at yourself in the mirror saying, I hate you. Why are you the way you are? You're a horrible father. You're a horrible mother. You're a horrible brother. You're a horrible friend. You're this and you're that. When at the end of the day, my Bible says I was blessed to be a blessing. That I am the apple of God's eye. That I was created in his image. Amen. That I am an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. That I am awesome in the powerful sight of God. That I am recovered and that I am redeemed and I am set free. But you have to fight that fight. and You have to walk over the enemy's tactics. One of his favorite tactics is to tell us lies and to speak them so convincingly that we hold them for the truth. The Bible says in the last days many will fall away. They will heap for themselves teachers having itching ears. They will call good evil and evil good. How do you think this took place? You're living in that time right now where good is called evil and evil is called good. You're looking at a time where if a, if a young lady sits at a lunch table in a lunchroom of a public school and prays in the name of Jesus Christ, she could be condemned and she could be put into, into the principal's office. But the little boy sitting beside her can declare to be a boy or a girl and walk into whatever bag and the teacher can't say nothing. And because it's a right, amen, it's a right for that individual. But a child can't pray in the name of Jesus Christ because it is offensive and Jesus Christ don't like this way of life. You're living in a day and an hour where we will fight. We won't fight for our children, but we'll fight to have them killed in the womb. We're living in a day where we won't stand up, amen, and declare the truth because of what it might come against the church with it. Well, brother, they might sue us if we do that. They might sue us if we do that. Listen, the Bible tells me that I am his child, that he, he's not caught off guard, that he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So if the lawsuits start coming in because I'm standing on the word of God and the promises of God, I can love a person, but I don't have to, I don't have to change my beliefs and I don't have to change the doctrine of the word of God and still, and I can still love people. I love people. So I've got good friends of mine today that are lost in the world. And I love them with everything in me. I've got, I, me and my wife and I, we pastored a couple, a gay couple, up when I was in Albany, Georgia. And the first thing they came and they told me up front. And they said, brother, we live an alternative lifestyle. I said, all right, I appreciate it. Welcome to East Albany Church of God. They was like, 
You're not going to make us leave? I said, why would I make you leave? I said, all I'm going to, they said, well, what is your belief on it? I said, I believe that it is a sin, just like the Bible says it is. I said, just like gossiping is an abomination. Just like shedding innocent blood is an abomination. Just like feet that run quick to mischief is an abomination. Six things which God hates, seven which are an abomination. And none of them were homosexuality, so you just fall into the category with what's already been coming to church for decades. All I'm telling you is, is I want it here. I want to allow you to come in here and live that lifestyle in the church. And they respected that. They didn't even sit together in the pews. And to this day, they still call us and say, pray for us. We believe in God's going to change us. And I believe God's going to do it. You can love people that are living in sin without changing how you believe about sin. You can love people that, stand, that don't stand on the same truth you stand on and still love them through it. I've seen God take some of the most broken people and filthy people and clean them up. And they be sometimes the best preachers and singers you could ask for. And then I've seen people raised in church their whole life. They judge so strong that they can't even be blessing to nobody. Their judgment is so harsh that they can't even help nobody see the light at the end of the tunnel. They're too busy putting stone over the end of the tunnel to keep them from finding their way out. The devil uses our mental space as a battlefield. As I, I'm getting ready to land this plane, people. If the musicians want to make their way back up here. The enemy wants us to feel hopelessness. He wants to rob us of our joy. But by far the worst lie of the devil is his effort to convince us to believe him over God. Ever since the very beginning, we, we had the same old devil. He's got the same old tricks. But for some reason, they still work. From the very beginning, his, pro, his lie that he told Eve, if you will take of this fruit, you will be like God. And they believed the enemy over God. Because you know what God had already told them? We made you in our image. They walked with God every day in the cool of the day. They talked with God. There was no separation from them and the Father. But the enemy made, he decorated the truth. He decorated the lie to look like something truth. He said, if you'll eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. And they fail. The enemy is still using that as one of the longest, most harsh and most powerful working efforts of the devil is to convince people to believe him over God and that our Father is no match for him. In addition to Satan's deception towards Eve in the Garden of Eden, the Bible reveals other instances of the devil telling lies to God's children through people or circumstances. In other words, when the blind man was calling out to Jesus to be healed, the first thing the enemy used was his disciples. They said, why is this man blind? Is it because he sinned or is it because his parents sinned? Jesus said, this man's not blind because he sinned. This man's not blind because his parents sinned. But he is blind so that the glory of God can be revealed through him. The enemy wants to decorate the lie with the truth. But I want to give you the good news this morning. There is power in prayer in spiritual warfare. I'm not asking you to leave this place today and to, and to go out and know how to do everything you need to do. That's what this whole series is going to help you to see, to know what you're fighting it and to know how to fight it. But I am here to tell you that if you ain't heard nothing else I've said today, there is an authority given to you from God through the anointing of the Holy Spirit when you gave your heart and soul to Jesus Christ. He has given you power to cast out devils. You say, well, Brother Josh, I've never, been in the, I've never been baptized with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Well, let me tell you, Jesus, that, that power didn't come in Acts chapter 2. That, that power come in the Gospels. Jesus was still alive when he told his disciples, I'm giving unto you the power to go cast out devils, lay hands on the sick, and they recover. That was before Acts chapter 2. That power is a privilege, an authority with privilege. But then there's a power that came in Acts chapter 2. That godly power, that spiritual power, that anointing power, that chain-breaking power, that, that volcanic, eruptive, spiritually speaking power that explodes into the atmosphere around you. That comes only through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is, amen, the power of prayer in the Spirit. 
The Bible says we must always pray in the Spirit. We must always. Does that mean you have to pray in tongues all the time? No, I've heard just as many people pray in English in the Spirit as I have people pray in tongues in the Spirit. But I believe, amen, that both have their specific place. Both have their designated time and both have their purpose. You have to understand that there is a war and regardless if you want to accept it or not, you are in it. All of us are caught up in the spiritual war. All of us are drafted in this war between good and evil. And if you don't engage in the war, you'll still be affected by it. But you'll be much more vulnerable to evil than you would be if you decided to fight as God has called you to do so. So my challenge for you this morning is be active, not passive. Engage in spiritual warfare with the confidence that God's power is working in you and through you and that it is greater than any evil working against you. If God be for us, who can stand against us? Your prayers can help prevent bad things from happening to people. And it can usher good things into people's lives. Listen to the Holy Spirit's promptings for guidance about how best to pray for what's most needed. Something God spoke to me years ago when I first began ministry. I had a grandmother that was a true prayer warrior. Me and my cousins was, we was very angelic kids in our eyes, but we, we, was, we, we was bad. We'd get into some trouble. So I'd ask my cousin, can I spend a night with y'all? And their mom would be like, no, y'all ain't coming in my house and destroying it. So I'd ask my mom, hey, can, can they spend a night with us? Y'all ain't coming in here and acting the fool in my house. So we asked our grandma, can we stay with you? And she said, yeah, y'all come stay. So that's where we had to go to spend a night together. And I remember many times you walking in, you ain't even been doing nothing bad right away. You done something, you, you just knew you was going to. And my grandma was a prayer warrior and she could just look at you. And say, God knows exactly what you're doing. Man, you're talking about cut you to the heart. You're like, man, I, I can't even spend a night with you and have a good time. But that was something that I remember. When my grandmother passed away, I was asked to preach her funeral. And I knew it would be one of the toughest things that I ever done. Because I grew up listening to her pray. And we, you'd walk in her house at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It didn't matter if the bill collectors were calling. didn't matter if the family members were calling. It didn't matter if five people were waiting at the door, beating on the door. didn't matter if the house was on fire. She wasn't going to get up out of her prayer room until she was done praying that prayer. And I'm talking about same time every day. You could walk in the house. And she lived in a single wide trailer. Uh, as far back as I can remember, she lived in a single wide trailer. And if you walk through the... The, if you come in the front door, you was in the living room, and on the right was a hallway, and there was a, two bedrooms and a bathroom. And she was always in that middle bedroom, and you could hear her calling out to God. She'd be praying in the spirit, then she'd start praying in tongues, and then she'd start praying in English, and she'd start calling every grandchild by name. She'd start calling every child by name. She'd start calling friends of the church by name, and she'd start praying over the pastors by name, regardless of what had went on around her, regardless of what was going on. You'd hear her praying, and immediately us trying to live in sin we would feel conviction we'd want to get out of the house as fast as we could so when I was asked to preach that funeral I knew I wasn't going to be able to get up there and preach and keep a straight face or keep, keep without breaking down so I prayed I said Lord you've got to help me and God led me to write a poem and in that poem the title of my poem is a woman on her knees and God just began to give it to me. And I pray, and I, I began to write. And before I know it, I got this long poem about a woman on her knees. And man, the revelation that God gave me through all of that. Early in my ministry, he said, Josh, you don't understand the evil that was set before you that your grandmother prayed you around. You don't understand the times the enemy had a trap to take your life. But your grandmama, your mama, your daddy, your church, amen, they come together in an altar in a prayer meeting. They come together in a men's prayer meeting. They come together in a women's prayer meeting. And you were covered and you were prayed and you were protected. When people, when you learn how to war in the spirit, 
and you've learned how to, to an, 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 analyze your own heart, God gives you the ability to cover a protection over other people that hadn't yet seen the light, that hadn't yet found the truth. When you pray, you advance God, God's kingdom into the earth. When you pray, you, would, you advance His will. Three things I'm fixing to give you, if you will, stand to your feet all over the house. Three quick things that I'm going to give you to stand strong in spiritual warfare. You say, Brother Josh, I didn't get a whole, listen, this is just an overview. We are fixing, next week we got something different set, but for the next few weeks we're going to start hitting specific spirits. We're going to, have, we're going to find them in the Word of God, and we're going to talk about them. Then we're going to talk about how to recognize them how they would disguise themselves, how you can recognize them, and then how you can defeat them, and how you can move on. But three things you have to do to stand strong in spiritual warfare. Number one, you got to know your, who your commander is, and you got to stand by his side. Your commander in spiritual warfare is Jesus Christ, who leads the charge. He leads two armies. First, he leads the army of holy angels in heaven. And then here on earth, he leads the army of prayer warriors that we fight in the Spirit. Jesus chose you. He saved you. And He gave you an eternal inheritance of blessings and lives. He lives in your soul. He gave you lives to touch, lives to change through the anointing that He did in your life. God's power is working through you. And you have to allow Him to be the greatest example of prayer in your life by studying His life on earth. And you can learn how to serve God without fear. The second thing you have to do is you have to recognize who your true enemy is. Your true enemy is not the one that's bashing you or putting you down. Your true enemy is not the one that fired you or let you go. Your true enemy is not the doctor that gave you bad news. Your true enemy is not even the sickness. But your enemy is the evilness that is in the spiritual realm that is coming to try to take your joy, your peace, and your mind. When you open the doors for your enemy to attack, you deliberately disobey God and choose to sin. But when you put on the armor of God, when you run away from the, tempta the temptations to sin, and you pray against Satan's plans to hurt you, you open the door for God to bring the divine supernatural into your life. The last and final thing that you do to stand strong in spiritual warfare is you have to be certain of your authority in prayer. Listen, I'm going to say this, but I want, you to, I, want to, I want to be transparent with you. There are many times I go to pray and I just feel completely and utterly defeated. And I feel like that I'm just so weak. And I am. I'm weak spiritually. I'm weak in my mind. I'm weak physically. I'm weak emotionally. And there's days that I forget the authority that I have in prayer. But the Bible says that whatever you pray in faith and believe it, it shall be done. Where any two should agree as touching one thing that whatsoever they ask, it shall be done. Whatever you pray in my name and have faith that I can do it, it shall be done. When you go in there feeling utterly defeated and broken and weak in your emotions and weak in your flesh, it does not change the authority that you have and the power of God. Even because you're weak, it doesn't weaken God. Even because you're being beat down, it doesn't mean God's weakened. It just because you've been broken, it doesn't mean God's power is broken. God is the mender of broken ends. He is the restorer of things that are lost. He is the one that begins you on the process of recovery. He is the one that gets your life back. He is the one that takes your joy and gives it back. He is the one that takes everything that was stolen to you, multiplies it, and gives it back to you in power. You have to be, a cer you have to be certain of your authority in prayer. Jesus has given you the authority to pray in his name and to know that he will answer your prayers according to God's will. That's something you must always be mindful of. Is your authority in prayer is not based on the words you can use, but it's based on the will God has. All of our prayers should ultimately end like we pre like I preached on last week. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. 
I told you last Sunday night, we're living in a nevertheless, we are living, I believe we're about to have a nevertheless season. We're about to see a faithfulness that we haven't seen at Northwoods Church. We're about to see a hunger like we haven't seen at Northwoods Church. Why? Because people are hungry. People are passionate. People are ready to stand for what God has promised them. As we get ready to pray this morning, I want to tell you, there's no weapon formed against you that can prosper unless you allow it. The Bible says every tongue that would arise against you is condemned. Even though we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, we have to be mindful that we can still be used by the enemy as the flesh and blood. And if we learn how to protect our minds, our hearts, and guard our hearts that we might not sin against God, we will see an outpouring of God's Spirit in our lives. And I believe I'm talking to a group of people that are hungry and passionate for victory. Some of you got some prodigal sons and daughters. You're ready to see them come home. Listen, God knows exactly where they are right now. You might not know where they are, but God knew where the prodigal son was when he was in the hog pen. God knew where the prodigal son was when he was in the bars. God knew where the prodigal son was when he was throwing everything away. And God knew where the father was. And he set the father in place to welcome the son back home. Amen. And God is sending the process to your family. He's sending the process of restoration, the process of recovery. You just got to believe it and you got to accept it. You got to declare and decree it in Jesus' name. Will you just lift your hands all over the house and just bow your heads with me? Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you this morning. God, that you love us enough not to allow us to be deceived by the enemy, but you have given us direction and truth in your word that helps us to recognize the disguises of his schemes, God. To help us recognize when the fiery darts are being shot. And you have given us the shield of faith which, was, which will quench every fiery dart. And God, I'm praying in the name of Jesus, God, that you will help us through this series to be receptive, to be understanding, to be re ready, Lord God, to be passionate, to be hungry, to have the tenacity and the endurance God, to stand and to fight the good fight of faith. Lord, that we could be like Paul at the end of our life, saying we have fought the good fight. We have run the race, and we have finished the course. And I stand. There awaits for me a crown of righteousness. Oh, God, that is prepared for me. Oh, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that no matter what circumstance or situation of life that each and every individual may be in this morning, I pray that you bless them with the authority, that you bless them with the understanding. You bless them with wisdom and you bless them with knowledge to know, Lord, that they are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. That they are here. They are more than conquerors. They are overcomers. Lord God, they will achieve what is said before them and they are victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. God, we give you the praise. We give you the honor. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. And the church says, Amen and amen and amen. God bless you so much. I'm going to ask them to just sing a, a little worship.